Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's all happening and it's all exciting. And then all of a sudden the baby appears and the baby is crying at the top of his lungs, and, and so, which is a good sign. A very loud, loud uh, cry. And, um, and, was, and that was my boy in that moment. I knew it was my boy and we got to have this dramatic moment and cut the cord myself. And then in the hospital, because they, um, it was an emergency moment, the baby cannot stay with the mom at the mo- that time. So the baby, the, the pediatrician and myself go up all the way up to the top where they go and they make sure they check the vital signs of the baby and make sure the baby is okay. So all of a sudden, from this loud, loud room of action and, 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 and lots of things going on and, and lights, cameras, everything, not much cameras, just a little iPhone 5, but, but lights, a lot of lights, a lot of drama, suddenly all of a sudden we're standing awkwardly in this lift, just the three of us. It's quiet. Like, so how's your day going? Good. Mine too. And we get up there and it's just this quiet moment and... I'm awkward because I don't know what to do because he's trying to do the things and the baby's flailing and suddenly being very exposed. He's been in a safe, nice comfort zone for a good nine months and all of a sudden he's just exposed. It's, it's, he's, it's cold. It's these prying hands at him trying to work out, measure him and weigh him. And I'm there trying to get in and see, see my little boy. And then they take this little lad and they put him in an incubator just to, just to warm him up and make sure that he's okay. And he's got his head down. He's crying, 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 crying. And, I, and I'm also crying, crying, crying because it's just beautiful. And then the pediatrician at this moment says, Dad, go talk to your boy. So, okay. And I go, and, I, and it's awkward. There's other people, other couple with their baby coming in their, their situation. But I go, and I kneel down next to the baby and look into incubator. He's just crying, crying, crying. And I just say, hello, boy. It's Dad. And I kid you not, baby stops crying. Head turns and looks at Dad. And it's this phenomenon that happens. And they say, the, the doctors say they encourage. They just keep talking to him. So I'm never short of things to say, but I'm starting to. <laughs> Liverpool got the Champions League final on Saturday, boy. I think we're going with a 4-3-3 formation. I, I, no, just, just, you know, just, we're trying to work this thing out. But, but as we, as it, and he's just quiet. And he just, he knows my voice. And, and if I stop, he starts the crying. Starts, and it's a profound phenomenon said, because actually for nine months, he's heard this voice. He's known this voice. He's familiar with this voice. And in a world of exposure, a world of being now thrown out and everything is thrown away and the normal of what he's known is now chaos. He knows one voice that brings security. Now, I say all that firstly just to to boast that I'm a dad again, which is very, very exciting. But I want to tell you that I think our number one problem in this world for every single one of us, the number one problem is that we are listening to the wrong voices we're listening to the voices of earth. We were meant to listen to the voice from heaven, the voice of our Father. And we're taking our cue and our identity, our, our, our ability of walking in life from the voices that shout, the voices that seduce, the voices that lie, the voices that laugh at us, the voices that leave us inconsistent, insecure, and impotent people. The voices of earth. The voices of the naysayers. The voice of crit- critics. The voices of fear. When actually our lives were supposed to take us cue of one voice. The voice of the Father. I want to help us this morning because I'm willing to bet that actually in this room there are many people here, many broken hearts. It's, uh, we can come here and we can even know each other for a long period of time. But I, I want to tell you I know that I know life. Life, if you live long enough, I say it again and again, you will bleed. Because there are many broken hearts here. Maybe that's because a guy or a girl said they'll phone you back. They'll, after a date, they'll phone you back. I will phone you back. But 
they didn't. And you have, over years, your heart has grown callous. Or maybe it was your boss who said he'll give you a promotion and an increase. And he's made these promises and dangled that carrot there. And you've worked hard and you've met your targets and you've, you've, you've expended energy. But then the time came and he didn't give you the increase or the promotion. He gave it to somebody else. And you've got frustrated. Or maybe it was a doctor that promised that if you take these meds, if you have this op, then you'll get better. But your health doesn't seem to have progressed. Or maybe, in fact, it was your father years ago, a dad who said that he'll come watch your game. A dad who said he'll pay for your studies. A dad who said he'll never leave your family. He said he said he'll always be kind to your mom, who made these promises but never, never followed through on them. He actually reneged on them. Promises he made but did not keep. And you've got hardened hearts. And all these sort of things, whatever your lifestyle is, it starts to train our voice to listen to our ears to listen to other voices. They'll determine our steps. But this morning, a simple, simple word that I pray will encourage our hearts, a, a word that I, I say I've preached for three years to us as a community. Nothing fancy, nothing new, but I pray that we'll get it, because if we get it, this changes everything for us. So one scripture on the, on the, on the screen behind me is Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. One of my favorite texts. It says this, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Quick aside, if you've not been baptized, good reason to get baptized. Jesus did it. Good enough. Let's move on. Second, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Let's pray in this moment. Father, I pray as we just sit here today on Father's Day. I thank you that the voice of the heavenly Father would speak to us. I pray you would settle hearts, anxious hearts, fearful hearts, nervous hearts, broken hearts. You would come and settle them with one word of your mouth. And you would bring healing, you would bring freedom, you would bring truth. And that knowing your truth would set us free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three simple things that I'd love you to Treasure deep in your heart about our Heavenly Father this morning from this text. Number one, I want to tell you about the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father is present. The Father is present. As I read this text, the first line out of the Father's mouth, Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, and the first word from heaven, from the word go, are these words, this is my son. Or is that translated, it says, you are my son. The Heavenly Father identifies with Jesus' son from the word go. It is so huge because at the very beginning we find God identifying himself as Jesus' father. You see, he's not a father that, that you, you and I can get to see on every second weekend. We grow up in that sort of culture where because of situations and, and relationship dysfunctions, we have fathers who are only present every second weekend and it becomes the norm. And we start to translate that image onto our heavenly father that he's only available at certain times, at certain moments. And nor is he a father who's just available in a crisis most Christians live in that area. I'm in trouble. Pray. Now, it's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Do that. But actually, the Father, our Heavenly Father, is so much more than just a guy who's waiting in the time of crisis. He's a Father who's always present. So much so, Jesus speaking says, I and the Father are one, and I do nothing that, apart from what I see my Father do. He's also said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Truth that I, I want to labor and labor and labor, that we have a Father who is present who is with us, not from a distance, but up close. I, I, I've, I've grown up in a family my, where I'm the, the youngest born, what, what is called the, the Lat Lamaki, the youngest, the, 
a wonderful surprise, as I was told, you know. My oldest brother is eight years older than I, five years the next, and then, then, then it's me. And, and the amazing thing about being the youngest is that my parents were then a little bit more older in years, so much so at most of my sporting events, people would say, it's so nice that your grandparents came to watch you. Which used to rile my parents up until they realized they can get a lot of discounts at the age of 65. So they are claiming pensioner status. They're like, pensioners! Because hashtag Zimbabwe, that's what happens to you. You take any blessing you can. But um, the amazing thing was they, they were these parents that, that because they're a little bit older, they're a little bit out of the loop sometimes of what was culturally cool and uh, what, what was supposed to be the right thing to do and say. But the amazing thing about my mom and dad was though they often missed some cues, some sort of cues in, my, in the, the age gap, they were always there. The one thing, my dad is, my, the three brothers, we, are, we love sports. We, 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 we thought we were good at sport. We really weren't, but we loved it. We tried really hard, but we played every sport under the sun. My dad, on the other hand, at the age of 13, he got a gift of uh, mint chocolates, uh, Japanese origami, and uh, a CD of Gregorian chant. That's my dad. He is not your typical boyki. He has got zero cohorts, self-confessed. He said he's got no interest in sports whatsoever. He would rather have a discussion on, on ancient art history than talk about what the Springboks are up to. He has no care. But all his boys love sport. So where was my dad on weekends? Watching sport that he had no interest in, no idea what was going on. And actually, all three of us, we were... Um, we, were, we played cricket, so just bear with me in this moment. Cricket is a game. So with you, 11 players per side, you all with us? Good. Um, but we were spin bowlers. So spin bowlers were the slower bowlers that come on later in the game. Later in the game, all of us. And my dad still didn't seem to get that. He always was so frustrated that the captain would always bring us onto bowl so late in the game. He thought that there was actually, that they had some an agenda against us. So my dad from like over one, would be standing on the boundary saying, bring on the spinner. And I was there going, shut up, Dad, please, Dad, get back. Get back into the Datsun, Dad. Get back in there. And, uh, but what I love about that was the amazing thing was everyone knew when, my, when, when they knew the Phillips family were there. It was like, you know, if you've seen Spud, you know, when the, the dad arrived, that was the Phillips family. But my dad would get up and bring on the spinner. And everyone like, oh, your dad's here. Oh, cool. Thanks, Dad. You know, you know what, I, I say that story, but what I love about it is that actually that is our Heavenly Father, not the fact that He doesn't know what's going on, but a Father that is not disinterested in our lives. A Father that's not at a distance. He's not just an absent Father. He's also not just, He's not a disengaged Father. I think we, we forget these things so often because when I'm playing with my daughter, Olivia, to be honest, two-year-old games that are played again and again and again and again, I can find myself easily becoming frustrated, easily. I can find myself easily becoming distracted, thinking, saying, Olivia, that's cool, but I've got more important things to do right now. And I, and I relegate what her need right now is to, actually, it's just, it's the same thing. We've done Play-Doh a hundred times. Come on, girl, come on. I've got more important things to get to. And we often think that that is the relationship with the Heavenly Father, that He's got more important things to get to. And maybe in big crisis moments we can run to Him. But actually, we have a Father who's not absent. He's not disengaged. He's present. He's with us. And He's yelling on the side of your field, Bring on the spinner! When you feel you've been dropped, when you've been relegated, when you've been forgotten, He's there. His, Gabe's dad's here. 
Your dad is there. He's with you. Now, I don't want to make this trite, but I really want to remind us that he tells us he doesn't grow weary and tired, and he doesn't get bored of our weaknesses. He doesn't get frustrated with our petty requests. No, this is the God I know, and I've said it again and again. I want to keep reminding us he's also not the God of the time out. Now, I've learned this, learning this the hard way, that timeouts for toddlers are sometimes helpful things, just for them to catch their breath. But I think we've lived in a culture where, where often time out, if you're not, not familiar with the phrase, time out is when the child would be getting frustrated, would frustrate the parents no end with their bad discipline. So that the, the family says, I can't deal with you any longer. Go to your room. I need some space from you, some separation. And, I, and actually, that we have that in our culture, but actually I've learned that actually the Heavenly Father doesn't, never does that with us. He doesn't discipline us. He disciplines us, yes, but he doesn't discipline us with timeouts because timeout means separation from us. I saw an illustration years ago. I'll tell the story till the day I die. I thought it was so fr- profound in a, in a social environment where there was a, fa- a lot of people that were chatting around a meal and there were kids in another room playing and I heard a huge fight go out in that door, in that room uh, between a brother and a sister and, the, and it was quite loud. It was quite vociferous. Was some angry words were said and the, the, I saw this father get up and often these moments can lead to embarrassment for fathers, you know, can shut up, child. You're quiet. We're having all the other friends here. But this child was this father wasn't panicked. He walks into that room. He said, Boy, come here. And the boy's, No, dad, you don't know. He said, I don't want to hear it. Come here, boy. And the boy trudged back in frustratedly behind the dad into the room with him. And the dad sat back down coolly on the couch. And I was just watching this, saying, What's going to go happen here? What's going to happen? Is there going to be some loud words? Is he going to get angry with the kid? What's going to happen in this moment? And people having their meals chatting. As he said to the boy, Boy, come onto my lap. The boy was an eight-year-old, and he got on, he was frustrated, he was huffing and puffing. No, Dad, you know, she, don't, no, no. He said, quiet, 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 I don't want to hear it. On my lap, relax. And the boy was sat there for a while, and after a while, as you could hear, his boy breathing started to grow slower, and the dad started to speak to him, saying, boy, tell me what's going on there. No, Dad, we started, he said, okay, cool, listen, boy, I love you, I'm proud of you, but that's not how we respond. And he was just whispering to his boy, as he held his boy. And after a while, about 10 minutes passed, you could see the boy calm down totally. The dad said to him, boy, are you ready to go back and apologize to your sister? He said, yes, Dad. The boy jumped off his lap, went back and apologized to his sister and carried on. And as I saw that, I thought, give that man a bells. <laughs> but more importantly, I said, I, I just suddenly realized that's how the father disciplines you and I. I think we live in a culture where we think discipline means go away from me. When actually the father says discipline means come close to me. Discipline still happens, but he says come close to me. And I think often we live with this narrative in our head. So when we fall short, when we sin, what is the first thing we do? We run away from God. I'm guilty. What's the first thing when somebody feels they're sinful, feeling they're messing up? They leave church for a while. When actually it's the very place they need to be. When I'm sick, I don't go, you know what? It's a bit embarrassing going to the doctor with this illness. A little bit embarrassing. I'm going to wait till I get better. Then I'll go to the doctor. That logic is at best, moronic. I apologize for the strong word. But I want to say that actually that we got, and I know it's in my own heart. I know my own fickle heart that actually, I, that's why I preach this again and again to myself because I'm so ingrained inside of the voices of earth that when you've done bad, take a step away for a while. When actually Heavenly Father says, when you've fallen short, come to me for I have grace for you. The Father is present and He's with us. And he's for us, and he wants to declare this over us every single day. Second point this morning is the Father is not just present, he's affirming. He says, this is my son, whom I love. 
He declares whom I love. I love that the Father doesn't leave everyone, anyone guessing to his feelings about Jesus. Not for a moment. He's not some dour, grim-faced father that you nervously are peeking to see if he's approving of you. He's not the assignment Simon type judge, you know, where you're not too sure by his face, was my performance good enough? That was okay. No, no, he's not that type of father who, like a Roman emperor going, uh, keep going and see, uh, yeah, or no, uh. no, he's not that father. From the word go, he says, this is my son whom I love. And I love the fact that actually this is an amazing thing. He says, not just whom I love, but, because often, often I'll hear myself saying these things, and I hear other people saying, whom I love, but I wish he just got better grades. I love him, but. No, I love him, but yo, he frustrates me. I love him, but I wish they would just get, stop, stop doing the same sinful thing again and again. No, no, the father said, this is my son, whom I love, and, and. Not but. There's no, there's, no, there's no but in that conversation there. And actually, this is so huge for you and I because actually, I love the fact that this father's not, uh, not hiding away with this truth. He's actually declaring it loud over his son from the word go. I have a friend who's got a good dad, but for, for a long time, I said to him, when, every time I saw him at a social event, whenever they'd leave, they'd shake hands and say, bye, dad, bye, bye. And it was this awkward moment. I was always like, why is it so awkward when you guys like, say goodbye to each other? He's like, no, no, just... Uh, when he started telling me, bring me into the space, he said, no, you know, my dad's actually never told me he loves me, but I know it. And I was like, you know, yeah, that's, that's cool. But actually, we don't have a heavenly father who just says, no, they know I love him. They know. I send them a, I send them a Christmas card. Come on. No, no. We have a father who tells us that he loves us. And I want to encourage you, if even here, and I may, I'm not qualified in age for this yet, but if you're a dad and you haven't told your son or your daughter that you love them, do it. You'll say, oh, those words might not carry weight. You know, I've left them down. Don't care. Who cares what was behind those words? Just say it. There's power in declaring it. And actually, the amazing thing, I, again, I bring it back to, to the fact about my, my amazing mom and dad. They, were, they are those sort of parents that are, at, even when they visit church, it's quite embarrassing. If I finish preaching or a public speaking gathering in the past, before I'm finishing, they'll start clapping. Like wild the applause, like it's not that thing. We're at a funeral. I'm doing a funeral. <laughs> Great funeral. Best funeral I've ever been at. Mom and dad. No. Quiet, mom and dad. But you know what? I, I, I rejoice for that. I rejoice in that sort of approval. And maybe it's because it's the millennial in me that everyone gets a trophy. No, it's not that. But it's the fact that as I see this, that actually maybe you've had a tough father. Maybe you've had a, a father, or you, maybe you think it's a father's job to teach your children that the world is harsh. Can I just smash it out the water? Because the world may be harsh, but the Father is kind. We have a heavenly Father who is kind. And actually, Scripture tells us in Zephaniah 3 that He spins wildly over us. That's the Father. Not some grim-faced judge at a distance with His arm folded going, let's see how they go. We have a Father who delights and spins over us. This is the huge truth for us. And for time's sake, let me land with this point three. The Father... Is affirming, but also the Father believes the gospel. Now this one, I hope you, let me explain this a little bit. He says, this is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now what is so huge about this is if we read the text, that at this point Jesus had done no miracles yet. 
When this declaration of the Father's echoed out, it's not echoed out at the back end or after Jesus has just done the water into wine going, yep, now's my time. Jesus, you've done well. It's not like after he's just raised Lazarus from the dead and God saying, you're my son. You're my boy, Blue. Gotcha. No, no. It's not at that stage. No, it's at the stage when he's done no miracles. He's done no water into wine. He's done no raising of the dead. It's at that point, on the basis not of what he's done, but who he is, the Father says, this is my son with whom I love, and I'm well pleased with him. That's the Father we have who declares his pleasure in us on the front end, not on the back end. On the front end, not based on our performance, but based on his performance, what he's done on our behalf. Now, this is so huge because actually the gospel declares that we work from the Father's pleasure, not for the Father's pleasure. Now, we have to labor this stuff because often I think we still live in this realm where we feel like we're running a credit system with the Heavenly Father, with the man upstairs, that if we do enough good deeds, then we'll get a smile out of Dad. The Father is smiling over you. The problem is we listen to the voices of earth. We listen to the voices of our bosses, the voices of our peers, the voices of our spouses, the voices of our situations, when actually we should learn to retrain our ears to the voice of the Father. You see, God is not a Zeus-like character at the top waiting to reward us depending on our Herculean achievements. I watched a movie a few years ago, and I love this movie. I've said it before. It's a movie called Eddie the Eagle. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's an amazing story, a narrative of a true life event of a man named Eddie who was born with handicaps and disabilities but had a vision that he would take part in the Olympics. And this amazing story as it goes that actually only his mom backed him. His mom was like my parents, like, go Eddie! But no one else backed him, including his dad, who throughout the movie, the dad takes the position of running his, his, his son down and pointing out his handicap, pointing out the waste of money that's happening, his lack and his deficits. But Eddie couldn't be talked down. If you watch this movie, it's an incredible one, a spoiler alert. This amazing guy, uh, Eddie, Eddie goes all the way to Calgary Winter Olympics. He gets there after a lot of training. He gets in a snag in the system because of some setup, because of some rule. He gets to go as the British representative for the, the downhill ski event, the ski jump. And his amazing story gets the fact that he gets, sets the British record for the longest ski jump for Britain, and yet he still finishes last. So it's this amazing thing. He, he, I broke the record, but I came last. <laughs> He was like, yay. And, and the nation is divided of, like, should we celebrate Eddie or should we be embarrassed by this guy, this awkward, geeky, weird guy who's represented us and broken our British record, but he's broken it because no one else has done it before. It's like, surely we could have done it. But, but he's broken the record and he got national celebrity. He was like infamous. People were, were bemoaning him, but others were saying, Eddie's a hero, man. And the amazing story comes to a culmination at the end where he arrives home at the back of the airport, and uh, as he walks in, his mom, all the way through the movie, his mom has supported him and knitted him jerseys, saying, I'm Eddie's mom, and supported things on his jerseys. So he walks in, there's this massive media crowd, who, Eddie's back, Eddie the Eagle. He became Eddie the Eagle because of a celebratory dance move that he would do. And as he walks in, you see it's this emotional music, I'm in the cinema, picture it. It's dark, eating popcorn, emotions are running high. And uh, and, and he walk, as he walks in, he sees his mom wearing a jersey saying, I'm Eddie's mom. And he's like, hi, mom. And he turns, and in the crowd, there's his dad with his arms folded. And he walks up, and it's just awkward. His dad has been telling the whole time, actually, it's a waste of money. This is not who you are. And they're not trying to be mean, but trying to bring reality, saying, Eddie, come on. You're wasting our money. You're wasting an embarrassment to the, to the nation. And Eddie walks in, and the whole movie comes to head as he stands in front of his dad and says, 
hi, dad. He looks awkwardly at his dad. In this moment, the dad, with his lip trembling, the dad unzips his jacket. And his dad's wearing a knitted jersey by his mom saying, I'm Eddie's dad. And at that moment, Gabe Phillips burst out into tears in the cinema. <laughs> it was game over. I tell you why I, I cried there. I, I tell you, and I cried. I sobbed. It was embarrassing. People were going, shh. Like, it's the flipping credits now. Leave me alone. But the reason why is because I, I, as I saw that, I realized that actually that is not just a, a nice narrative in Hollywood. That's the narrative of, of, of hundreds of thousands of millions of people around the planet who've longed for a father to say, I'm yours. I'm your father. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. I back you and affirm them and be present in their lives. But because of the absent voice of a father on earth, that people have been responding in a different way. And actually, the fact is, I started to understand this moment. I realized that because of this deficit in people's lives, there's too many girls allowing themselves to be used and abused by men just so they can feel valued. There's too many boys getting crushed by their bosses and pressures of work performances and demands to climb the pecking order. There's too many people allowing their emotions to be dictated by the Instagram and Facebook likes and comments. There's too many of us responding again and again to the voice of the world because we don't know the Father. Now, this might seem so simple and almost like, yeah, yeah, cool, we've heard this before. How, sir, ma'am, I want to labor this, that if we do not get this, things will change for us. Years, years ago, um, there came a day, as I land this whole time together, was, it was, a, it was a, what I call a, a bit of a day of crisis for me, where I came face to face with a situation that my emotions could not handle. People I love were going through something so horrific, so horrendous, and I did not, and they were asking me, what should we do? And I did not have the answers. And I felt bankrupt. I felt, I felt exposed. I felt devastated on their behalf. I, I felt, if I, what if I say the wrong thing? Uh, what if I give the wrong advice? And I was feeling really, really at, at the crisis point. And I remember leaving them and I said, oh, I just need a few moments to, moments to think and, and to pray. And I remember I phoned the first number that I could think of. I phoned it, somebody who I knew would, would know what to do. And the phone rang and rang and rang and rang. Voicemail. Like, oh, not now, not now. I'm like, no, 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 I need, you. I need some advice. I need to know, know what to do. So I took the second phone I phoned, and that person, that phone was answered. And that guy was in a different space at that time. So I told him the story. He said, hey, bud, just do this, da, da, da. And he said, come on, why haven't you even done that yet? Just be strong. And, so, and he gave me this advice. Where I was like, oh, I just don't know if that. And I was left feeling even worse off before. And I remember driving, I was at the, if you're wanting a location, if you want, I was by the ocean basket on the beachfront, so I parked outside it, and I, and I thought, third phone call, what do I do? I phoned my dad. And, and as I phoned him, as I heard his voice, I'd been strong and been thinking, as I heard my dad's voice, I started to cry. And my dad was like, hello? Is this Vodacom again? No, no, he didn't say that. But, but in the moment, he just heard me cry, and I started to choke out what was going on. And actually, I don't know what to do. And I started to say it in this moment. And, I, and my dad didn't have strategic answers. He was not, he didn't come with the, he has a, a three-step plan of what you're going to do. In the moment, he just said, oh, my boy, I love you so much. He's like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, the way you stand out. And he started just affirming who I was. And actually, in that moment, he was there. And you know what? In this moment, I want to just say, Maybe you're at a place right now where you're in a place of crisis. Maybe your life, you've, you've given yourself over to other relationships you know you shouldn't have done. 
Maybe you feel like you've betrayed yourself because you've allowed yourself to go down roads where you wish you could take back. Maybe you're in crisis in your health. Maybe you're in crisis because of what you're facing at work. Maybe your finances have dried up and you're feeling at a loss. You don't know where to go because the debt is rising, but your salary is not. Maybe you feel like, I don't know what to do, and crisis has hit. I want to tell you today that the Father's present. He's affirming and He believes the gospel. What I mean by the gospel is that he believes that actually the strength is not in you, but the strength is in the son, Jesus Christ. And I want to push us to be a people, a people who respond differently, a people who don't respond in this moment. If this can be the only point of this morning is right now, sir, ma'am, do not respond to the voice of pressure or the voice of, of, of man's opinion and the voice of somebody else seducing you into a, a decision you know you shouldn't be making. Don't respond to that voice. Hear the voice of the father declaring, you are my son and daughter whom I love and I am well pleased. That voice will determine a future that you and I could never manufacture on our own. I want to pray for us in this morning. A simple word, because I believe if we hear that voice, we'll not only respond in different ways, we'll be mums and dads who lead our kids in that way. People who are present, who are affirming, and who believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning on a Father's Day morning, chilly morning where we gather around your word. I pray for your voice right now just to boom loudly over every heart. Every heart that's here, maybe God, the way social media has dictated a type of a personality response. This is the image I project on social media. This is the image I project at work. This is the image I project at church even. This is the image I project of someone who's got it all together, but inside I feel like I'm crumbling. I thank you, Father, this morning. Sons and daughters would hear the father's voice. You are my daughter. You are my son with whom I love and I'm well pleased. I thank you, Father, this would go deep in our hearts, deep into our souls, that we would respond differently. Right now where pressure is knocking on the door, where sin is knocking on the door, where frustration is knocking on the door and saying, respond to me, respond to me. I pray right now, Father God, those voices would be silenced We'll turn, choose to turn down that, 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 that frequency, turn down that volume, and allow your voice, the Father's voice, to declare truth of our lives. I thank you for this over us as a community this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.